Hey Ryan, have you ever had a bad user experience with an application or a device? Oh, you mean like uh, when this laptop froze in the middle of recording uh, our podcast? Hmm, I'll take that as a yes. Well, luckily, UI and UX design are getting more of a voice within the enterprise. Where in the past, UI and UX designers might get overruled by the business side or developers, they're increasingly having their voices heard. After all, if you can't create a seamless experience for your users, well, they won't be your users for very long. After all, it's easy to describe in layman's terms the feature or service you want from an application. But as we discussed, translating such descriptions into actual development and design tasks requires uh, for UX and UI designers to be empathetic, for lack of a better word. I'm Ryan Black, Assistant Site Editor for Search Software Quality. And I'm David Cardi, Site Editor of Search Software Quality, and this is the Test and Release Podcast, where we speak with experts about software development, QA, and Agile topics. In this episode, we spoke with Aaron Fajulak, Director of Design Education at the Flatiron School. We spoke about what trends he's seeing in UI, UX design work, and we also talk about some of his predictions for the industry. And fortunately, we recovered all of the podcast audio. We hope you enjoy it. Can you tell us about how the concept of uh, UI and UX design has grown in importance over the last uh, decade or 15 years? Sure, yeah. Um, so my my experience over the last five years for our school has been that design is now valued as a, a resource within a business. Um, you're seeing people take a C-suite position with a chief design director, chief design officer position. Um, what that means is that people see that if you provide a good user experience, it's actually a competitive advantage. Uh, when we first started, we were a generalist program where people learn the skills of UX, UI, front-end development, and that's what people wanted from a designer. But over time, uh, the, the industry has quite matured and the discipline is seeing specialization where they want individuals that can conduct research and in, in prototype or take prototypes and bring them to high fidelity or just focus on user interviews. And um, which is what's exciting is that we've been able to adapt our curriculum over this time uh, as the industry has shifted and, and specialized. I think it's, um, it's, it's been an incredible experience to see uh, and, and a lucky one for us that employers really do value design and are hiring designers in droves. You, uh, you talked about that specialization there. I noticed in the uh, predictions you shared that you said to expect further specialization within UX, UX design. I was wondering if you could uh, talk a bit more about kind of like the sort of new positions, kind of like new permutations that you expect. Sure. So um, I think for, for the in, in the near term, we're going to see continued specialization with job descriptions asking for UX researchers or user researchers or UX designers or UI designers, visual designers. But um, what we're also seeing is that you need to continue to learn and understand the entire design process. And as you mature in your career, you want to become um, or have the ability to be more generalized and know the entire process. If you're going to manage a product, you really need to know how to do the work both um, visually and then on the research side. I think um, this is all being pushed into existence because of um, 
because of new emerging technologies where experiences aren't just a screen. Um, today, uh, that is the case, but we have things like um, the Amazon smart speaker where you're interacting with that, but that also could be interacting with your mobile application where you're then walking into a physical store to pick up a product. All those experiences are one, one customer, one user experience, and you need to be thinking about them holistically. So the, the skills of a designer today need to be able to think like that um, and connect those dots. Aaron, I want to ask you about something you mentioned uh, a moment ago. My, my question will kind of uh, dovetail into that. Um, how should designers deal with pushback either from uh, the business side or from developers? You know, their, their goals might not always align. Uh, for example, web pages with ads tend to load slower and those provide a, a worse user experience. You're saying that you're seeing some organizations start to roll that design thinking all the way up to the C level, which I imagine would uh, alleviate some of that pushback and, and you'd really have an advocate at the highest level. But if your organization doesn't have that, how would you deal with some of that pushback? So part of the reason designers uh, rise to prominence um, within within companies and corporations is because of their ability to communicate and manage the business needs with the user's needs. And those are the skills that we definitely teach here, especially with the live client phase of our program where we're working with local startups. Yeah, we know that you need to um, hit these business goals, but also you need to have people adopt your product and enjoy the experience. So how can we help you increase conversion over time? I think that uh, um, having the buy-in at the C-suite is helpful, but what you need to do is um, go through the process of co-creation talk with your users, have empirical research that shows that this is going to actually drive down conversion if we reduce the customer experience. Maybe in the near term, we're going to um, you know, capture a few more emails or leads, but in the long term, people are going to, to leave our application or our website. So having um, you know, buy-in from your users, if you will, having buy-in from uh, um, the business leaders showing them that if, if you make this design decision, it's actually going to hurt our business. So you just have to make sure you're translating um, what your findings are to, to what they're going to uh, ultimately result in. To uh, continue along that kind of that, some of the threads you mentioned, like communication being so important, I was wondering if you could lay out how you think about the handoff and the relationship between UX designers and UI designers specifically. Sure, yeah. So especially, I'm, I want to, talk a little bit about our program. We have the specialization um, where you are diving deep into UX or UI, but we all, we provide a foundational education in the entire design process. You need to know the constraints of the visual designer as, as a UX designer that's creating prototypes and, and sketching out wireframes. Um, same thing with working with a developer. You need to know what the technical constraints are. What can they actually make? Um, so understanding the entire process uh, is, is why it's important to have some, uh, you know, a generous level of understanding. The specialization allows you to do, you know, a few things really great over time. Aaron, can you tell me how you see UX design work fitting into an agile team? It would seem to require some adaptability on the designer's part. Um, so I'm curious if you think that the uh, UX should develop along with the app functionality or you know, should some of that design work be done up front? 
I think uh, everything should start with with research. Um, you know, I'm not uh, one to take size, sides with the waterfall method or anything like that. But I will say that uh, the best place to start is with some data and research and talking with your users. Uh, and that can inform, you know, the direction of the project, uh, depending on what type of organization you are. If you are a small startup like the ones we work with here at the Flatiron School, you need to be um, pretty uh, quick, nimble, and lean. But if you're a corporation, you can follow that process of, of conducting research, working through some wireframes, testing with users, and, and going through the high fidelity design. Um, so I guess that would be my, my take. I did want to ask, but you mentioned, like, of course, like you have to do your research, you have to listen to your customers, you have to figure out what they're thinking. I'm curious, like, what do, like, really proficient UX, UI designers, like, how do they actually translate those human descriptions of wants and needs that aren't necessarily, you know, pre-written as designer development tasks into high-quality software experiences? Like, how do they go about translating that? How do, how do UX designers translate? Yes, into like specific development or design task. Sure. So, um, uh, for an example, if you're a ride hailing app in, in their beginning days, they started off with an experience where, all right, hailing a taxi is is a painful ex experience for users. How can we make it easier? So their first um, uh, test was really just a text-based um, uh, platform where you would text your location. And they would text back uh, once they found a taxi. On the back end, you had people actually calling taxi companies and saying where people are. Um, and that was, the, that was the beginning of the service. And you're able to say, okay, um, people are valuing this experience. We interviewed our users that uh, tried this text-based um, application. Um, how can we use the, and leverage the smartphone and all of its uh, technological capabilities to make this a, a better experience? So from there, you move on to sketching out what this application might look like. Well, really, it's a, a pretty simple experience on, on the side of a user. All they want is to find someone to take them from A to B. So we have a GPS here in the cell phone. So we're using the technologies that we have available to make the best experience possible. Um, we really only need one button. We're going to use the GPS, and we're going to um, let the driver side which would be the back-end experience or of the service experience, uh, uh, let them know where the customer's position is uh, um, from a, a GPS standpoint. From there, um, you're connected, and what they're going to do is they're going to sketch out this mobile app, and they're going to say it's going to be one button, and the user's feedback over time was, yeah, we, we want this to be a pretty seamless experience, one click, and, and we're ready to go. So... That's, that's kind of uh, the design process um, from a lean standpoint, what you're going to expect. Yeah, one of the big uh, highlights uh, in your uh, predictions were uh, voice and smart assistants. And something that came to my mind while I was thinking about this, I was, I was curious just like how extensively utilized are these assistants? Like do users make use of like those assistants full range of functionalities or is it just a narrow span of what they offer that people use because I have to imagine it's a fairly involved task to create such an assistant so it's like do you want to only go about like developing the features that people will use or like do you have to make like a full product yeah so right now voice assistants are used and the the usage varies I guess you could say 
So some people are just asking their smart assistant, what's the weather? But others are using it for reminders that actually feed to an application on your phone. Um, and that's a, that's a connected experience yourself. We have, a, we have a student actually right now that is, uh, or a graduate, that um, is working in a, a massive cable company. And uh, she has the task of connecting um, uh, an Alexa app to their smartphone app. What types of things would people want from their uh, cable provider on a, on a smart assistant, voice assistant? So I think first would be just turning on our TV. Um, though basic, it is a part of the experience that you are, you are uh, portraying as brand. Um, second, maybe can you record, you know, record a show later today and giving them a certain time. Um, so voice assistants are being used and connected to apps at a basic level. And that's just the start. And then over time, um, I think people are going to continue to using voice as a search functionality. And from a, um, a marketing standpoint, what does SEO look like for voice? How do we manage um, uh, the keywords that we're using? How do we get priority when we're searching for different products? Those are all going to be some of the challenges faced by marketers and designers alike. Um, I think that uh, there is a lot of focus on augmented reality and virtual reality or a lot of hype, if you will. But those, those things are still, um, I think, five to 10 to even 15 years away. The next thing right now is, is creating immersive experiences that are connected between different technologies like voice. Yeah, you know, where you mentioned AR and VR, I did want to ask you briefly about that. And I agree with you. It seems like we're not quite near the, the mainstream with those kinds of apps. But when those do grow in proliferation, design work is going to be central to those experiences because you know, visual stimuli is, is basically uh, the uh, the whole premise of, the, of that technology. So I'm curious how you would see uh, how that work would be different from design work on uh, typical apps or voice-based apps. Uh, I imagine it's a different level of, uh, of design. Sure, yeah. Um, so research will be research. Um, you're going to be talking with people, and that's the main focus. It's user experience. It's it's human. It's human research. From there, um, the user interface changes. The interface could be voice. The interface could be a blended mixed reality experience. Um, and visual design might not be built on the current software that we're using today. So what we do here at Flatiron School is we're always trying to update our curriculum for the new, latest um, software uh, that is released for designers and tools that people are using. And those things, I think, are going to change over time. So I think the tools and the software that we're using to design experiences will change, but also the skill set. Um, instead of designing uh, um, for the web, where you have to learn how grids work and topography and things like that, um, maybe it's just all visual stimuli um, where you're interacting with your environment. I mean, we had uh, Google Glass. I've, I've used um, the Oculus and things like that, um, and, and they're pretty cool. But um, I think that until we can mix the experience and into the real world, they're not going to catch on. I think designers, though, have to continue to stay on top of their technologies. You mentioned the tools that people will use to actually develop these experiences. And they reminded me of the one prediction that you had about like kind of internal tools. And you mentioned something about how designers will be quite well suited to fix or streamline those internal tools. Can, I was wondering if you could explain how 
how that how they would go about performing this work and why they're the why they are in fact the best suited for it. Yeah, so designers are just really good at at a being empathetic and figuring out um, and and caring about their users, and then b coming up with solutions to some of their pain points, or sometimes it's just making the experiences better. Um, an example of uh, of this would be an insurance company. This insurance company has uh, there's very it's a very complicated system, and the vocabulary used for the everyday user is very hard to understand. Um, to fill out an insurance application, there might be questions with words you've never heard of. This is an, an experience I'm aware of. From there, uh, um, you you get lost and you're asking a customer support specialist uh, questions on what this question's about or how do I how do I fill out this part of the form. And on the other end, you have a customer support specialist that actually doesn't see the screen of the users. They have no idea what they're looking at. And you have two people trying to communicate a problem. Uh, that person's job is quite difficult. So um, I know from an experience in, of working with the client that we were able to sit down, co-create a better internal application that allows them to benefit the user's needs. Um, and, and that employee themselves has a you know more enjoyable job. Uh, it's kind of like the the Gold State Warriors, if you will. If, if everyone's involved in creating uh, and and involved in, in what we're trying to build, you have better buy-in and adoption of, of, of the products and services that you design. Aaron, what are some of the hard skills of UI UX design that you see is on the rise? Yeah, sure. So there's a, there's always new UX research methods um, that are, are are coming out, and, and we're teaching our designers. Um, um, and then on the visual design side of things, we've set rise to prominence, and, and we're we've been so excited to be teaching that over the years. Um, there are new prototyping tools popping up. It seems like every week. And we'll try to plug them into the curriculum. We'll share them with our Slack community um, and, and provide educational content on that so that you can continue learning these tools. But what we try to teach our students here is how to learn to use new tools quickly. Um, it can't take you a while to learn uh, how to use the latest prototyping platform. So what you can get good at, just like software engineering, is, OK, I'm just going to be a great software engineer, regardless of the language. We're trying to make our designers great, regardless of the tool that they're using. Uh, just to ask a follow-up kind of on the uh, flip side of the coin, are there any commonly used tools or frameworks that you see as out of date or maybe soon to be out of date, maybe not keeping up with where the industry is going? Uh, I mean, not at the moment. I think there are, uh, there are companies that are still using old tools. And, and they have designers using older tools that have been around for a while, but that doesn't mean that they don't work. Um, it all depends on where you work, what the needs are, and what people have already adopted. The cost of switching from one software to another and educating your entire design team might be outweighed by just having the new, the new hire uh, adopt the software that you're using within that department. So um, it's the same, same premise of user experience. What, what is the best decision in the end for, for a company? We mentioned kind of blended user experiences, and one way that the user experience is changing is that more and more apps are uh, being based on AI, uh, including voice assistants, like you mentioned, um, how they use neural networks. Uh, so how important is a designer's work with these type of apps to ensure that the model 
is is uh, trained appropriately, and more importantly, I guess, on the designer's part, returns the correct feedback? What's their level of responsibility and involvement there? Um, I, I want to focus on one thing when it comes to AI and the designer's responsibility. Um, so at, at Flatiron School, we really value diver- diversity and inclusion. And what AI can't uh, necessarily detect is if it's giving preferential treatment to certain users and, and, and making us make decisions. So a designer needs to constantly be involved in the evaluation of the decisions the AI is, um, is making or inferring. Um, we have to train our AI to not have bias. Uh, I think we've seen that before in, in, in some of the larger tech companies. So uh, designers are all about um, solving everyone's needs and, and users are across the board from all demographics. So um, we're trying to teach our designers here at Flatiron School how to be responsible and, and design ethically. Right. And you also predict that the healthcare industry is, is ripe for some renewed focus on UI and UX. Um, I, I'm curious if you could explain why that is and maybe what are some other industries that are behind the, uh, behind the curve similarly uh, to healthcare? Yeah, I, I think um, if we think about our everyday lives, um, what experiences still seem a bit outdated or, or um, quite frankly, a pain? And if you go into the doctor's office and you're filling out forms, the same form you did last time, uh, that's an experience that we've all been through. So healthcare hasn't been focused on by a lot of uh, startups over the last, I would say, eight, 10 years. Um, There have been lower hanging fruit. Healthcare is a tough industry to change. Um, But for designers, uh, there are so many pain points of users using platforms uh, within the healthcare system that I think there's going to be a ton of value created there. And you're you're seeing a shifted focus from the Valley to New York to even across here in the Midwest on healthcare. Another thing that I think, um, another industry that has seen disruption and, and has been focused on I would say a little bit before healthcare has, is financial services um, with apps like Robinhood or Acorns, um, is improving the experience of the user and how to trade stocks, how to view their financial resources, um, how to make smart investing decisions. Financial um, finance, I guess, is, is, is the other industry I would say is, that's going to be focused on. Right. And those are two interesting examples. I'm familiar with both of those apps. And it's really like you explained, it's just about making it as simple as possible for the for the user. Um, and it's it's an interesting thing to keep in mind when we talk about this kind of design work. Yeah. I, I mean, my my uh, my father is now retired and, and tr- likes to trade stocks here and there. And he pays a fee and he has to go to a broker. And, and there was a time and day where he had to actually mail in his, his trades. Um, and I can get on a phone and in five seconds buy a stock in almost anything that's publicly traded and there is no fee. And for me, that's an incredible experience. That's, that's an example of design disrupting a, a certain um, pain point or experience within the financial services industry. Absolutely. Um, I do have one cl- uh, question to uh, close this out, unless Dave has anything else. No, uh, go for it. Uh, so in along the lines of like the industries that you see, you know, potentially in line for like a UX, UI overhaul. What are kind of some of the technologies themselves that maybe aren't widely adopted now that you could see uh, maybe doing the disrupting or creating more experiences for the user kind of, or 
maybe to put it another way, like that will open up more avenues for UX UI designers to work in. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to name any specific platforms, but I will say that change within healthcare and any enterprise software solution takes time. Um, they're so robust and they're so uh, such large platforms used by so many people that change is incremental. So what you're seeing is if you're uh, an enterprise software company, if designers are pointing a spot on the map where we want to get to, and then you have to make up a plan step by step, week by week, month by month, year by year, and how you're going to get there and make incremental change. You can't just um, take you know Windows 95 and give someone a Mac and say, okay, here you go. Here's a better version of, of your software experience. You need to gradually make those changes to get adoption. Um, it's, it's part of one of you know, the, the, the principles of being a UX designer is making sure that users adopt. So that would be my take. Great. Well, that should wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you. That was Aaron Fajalak, Director of Design Education at the Flatiron School. Please be sure to check out searchsoftwarequality.com for more articles on application development, testing, and agile topics. Or follow us on Twitter at software test TT.